Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. We are wrapping up a series today on fear, and we have been in this for the last five or six weeks, and the reason we've been talking about it is because fear is showing up all over our lives right now. I am seeing fear in friends, in family, uh, in my own home. I've seen people afraid in this church. I've seen people afraid in my community. I've seen the fear kick up in my own heart, um, especially, and maybe in an extra sort of way, over the last... Uh, year or two. And so I wanted to talk about it and I wanted to just kind of take a deep dive into the different kind of things that we're afraid of. I heard an interesting distinction recently um, and it was, it was talking about being afraid and, and it was really, at first it was talking about being scared. All of us can relate to the idea of being scared. We all feel it. That's why we have jump scares in a, in a movie, right? It, 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 oh, this thing kicks up. It's involuntary. You're, you're, the, the emotion sort of floods and you are scared. And, there, and being scared... It's not a bad thing. Um, maybe you're like, I don't like scary movies, so I don't like to be scared. But being scared is really useful. If an if a, if a angry pit bull comes at me, um, I might be scared. And that's okay because if I'm scared, I will keep my hand. And that's a useful thing, right? Uh, if someone points a loaded gun at me, I will be scared involuntarily. I will be scared immediately. And that's an okay thing because that could end me. And it would be useful to be scared in that moment and for the body to kind of to kick that in, right? Um, but there's a distinction there. William Faulkner, the author, said it this way. It's okay to be scared, but don't be afraid. And when I first read that, I thought, what is the distinction being made here? Aren't, aren't you basically saying it's okay to be scared, but don't be scared? Aren't they the same? Um, no, the distinction made here is that scary is an emotional thing, and being scared is an emotional thing, and it, and it is useful, and, it, and it's an okay thing. Um, and, and, and in some ways, there are things that are just scary in life, not even like movies or, or, or you know, a, an angry animal or whatever, but there are things in life that, we sh- that, that are scary because they're hard. Like... Having a hard conversation, we're going to feel that on the front end. Um, uh, uh, firing an employee, if you have to do that, that's scary. Um, having a, you know, this, this talk with your mom that you don't want to have, like those, those sorts of things. Like there are things that show up in life are scary. And, and there are hard conversations to have, and there's a lot of uncertainty. You don't know the outcome. So it's a very bad combo. Uncertain outcome plus hard thing to do. Like I'm willing to do hard things if I know the outcome is going to be good. But if it's uncertain outcome and hard thing, it's scary to me because I don't know how it's going to work out. And, and so it's okay to feel scared, but afraid is when we give in to that fear and we allow it to paralyze us and we don't move forward. All of us feel scared at times. The trick is to not let it drive us into fear and to paralyze us and make us afraid. Uh, in fact, uh, the definition of courage is not having no fear. The definition of courage is when uh, our action triumphs over our fear. We are scared, but we don't let it paralyze us. We don't, and we are able to overcome the fear by stepping forward in, in courage. 
Um, and so I, I think that was an interesting distinction. So I wanted to talk about a, a fear and being afraid and when we feel afraid. And I actually polled some people and asked them about their fears. And, the, and so the last one I want to talk to today is one that I got from other people saying this was a, a, a very real fear in their life right now. And I guess I would put it this way. It's the fear of being canceled. Or, uh, and, and I know that kicks up all these questions about cancel culture and whether that's real or not, but, I, but just think of it sort of generally, broadly. The fear of being canceled, the fear of taking a stand somewhere and people reject you for it. So in some ways, it's the fear of being canceled, but another way we could say it is it's the fear of being rejected. Um, and I think that is, that is very real. I've talked to more friends in the last few weeks who are afraid to lose their jobs because they won't get vaccinated for COVID. Um, and they have reasons for that, and we've talked through all of that before. And it's a very real concern because their employer is saying you have to do this or else by this deadline. Um, it's a very real concern. There's a lot of, there's a lot of fear uh, around that. There's a fear of being rejected, in a sense, by an employer. People are losing jobs. Um, people uh, are, are, there's a lot of fear of being rejected by friends for stances that you take on things. There's fear of re- being rejected by family members. I've heard of people saying, oh, I'm not going to see so-and-so at Thanksgiving because they refuse to do this, this, or this, or they're acting this way, or whatever. There's a lot of that fear out there of, of, of loss of relationship, loss of employment, a lot, a lot of that stuff. And, it, and it, it all kind of is a fear of being canceled, rejected, somewhere in there. And people are afraid to speak up because they're afraid that if I, if I say what's true, everyone's going to be upset about it. Um, and, and I understand that. If you, if, you, if you say false things, there should be some rejection that comes with that. But also people are afraid of saying what's true. I saw someone on Twitter say it this way. It's one thing to fear because you could be saying something wrong, but it is agonizing to self-censor because you fear you might be saying something right that is not allowed. That, that's, a, that's a real thing, right? People are afraid not just of saying the wrong thing, but what if I say something that I believe in my core and I have conviction about and it's right and, and it's not the popular thing or it's not allowed right now. So people are afraid of, of losing jobs, friends, family members, being fired, being canceled. And, uh, and, and I think that's, that's uh, very understandable because it's gotten kind of weird out there. And I, think, I, I don't think it's all social media's fault, but I think it has heightened the weirdness for us over the last five, ten years or so. Um, you probably remember the story. This actually happened the, the same day as the George Floyd stuff came out last year. It was the, what was called the Central Park Karen, the, the woman who in Central Park started yelling at this man and calling the 911 about her, and it was about leashing her dog, and there was this whole thing. And the video makes her look really bad, the video segment that you watch. You're like, man, this lady needs to just calm down. That's how she got the nickname Central Park Karen and all that kind of stuff. It was really a weird thing, right? Um, And I was actually listening to a podcast about it where they kind of did a deep dive into the whole story. And once you get context and you understand what actually happened, as so often is the case in the world, there's a lot more to that story. There's a lot more that was going on. Um, And this woman had her life destroyed. She had death threats on her life within hours of that incident happening. She actually had to leave the country and is in this undisclosed location. Um, and, And I just hear that and I'm like, what are we doing to people? There is a real fear. You're going to do or say the wrong thing at the wrong time, and, and there will be all sorts of stuff raining down on you, and it's not great. Um, and so I, I think, I think that, that fear is, is real. I mean, maybe that's an extreme example, but 
um, it, it's out there, and it, it comes at people from the political left, and it comes at people from the political right. There's rejection all over the place by employers, friends, and family. So how do we handle it? How do we move forward um, in a place of courage and not, not fear? Um, if you are a follower of Jesus, I have some good news on this, because we actually come from a long line of people who are Christians throughout millennia and then the original followers of Jesus and Jesus himself, we come from a long line of people who have been canceled, who have been rejected, and who have still stood on the other, other side of that. It actually, um, I actually want to give you one of the first encounters Jesus had with this. Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth, and he's going to go into the synagogue and teach the people there, the Jews that are gathered there in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He's going to teach them about the scriptures. Now, you would think having effectively the person who wrote the Bible come in and teach you the Bible would be really useful. And this is God in the flesh. They don't know that, but you've got God in the flesh showing up to say, this is what's going on in the world. This is what, and there's, you know, there's these cryptic passages, and, and Jesus walks in and goes, I'm going to tell you exactly what this means, and, and reads a passage from Isaiah to the crowd, and then explains it to them. That's incredible. If you're a quarterback, and Tom Brady walks into the room and says, let me teach you how to play quarterback, that's incredible, right? If you're a cellist, and Yo-Yo Ma walks in and says, let me teach you how to play cello, that's really great. That's kind of what's going on here. The God of the universe, the creator, the writer of the scripture, the one behind all of this, walks into the synagogue, reads the scripture, and says, this is what this is about, and they don't like it. They don't like it. At first, at first, it's like, oh, yeah, man, he makes some good points, and then he got a little bit pointed with them and challenged them, and they don't like it. This is in his hometown. This is where he grew up. Let's listen to what it says. Luke chapter 4. We'll put it up on the screen. Next slide. Uh, Got it. There we go. When they heard these things, this is their response. All in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Now, I'd love to have seen what that looks like. I've actually been to the place where they think that happens, and it's, it's a high enough hill that it would kill you if you fell off of it. Um, and I would just love to see how the crowd you know, the, the, a riotous crowd, or they get, you know, angry, and they bring him, and it, all, all we get is, like, passing through their midst, he went away. He just walked away. Somehow, I, they didn't restrain him, whatever. But I just want you to notice the level of rejection that he gets the first time he, like, speaks up and teaches in the synagogue in his hometown. Um, and that's not the only time. This is the first of many times. The, the gospel writer Matthew records that Jesus was in a village around the Sea of Galilee, and he cast out some demons out of this man. There was this man who was demon-possessed and was acting all crazy. He cast the demons out of this man and into a herd of pigs. This is an odd thing. The pigs then run down the hill and off into the sea, and they drown. Okay, there's a lot of things about that story that we have questions about. Demon possession, how you cast demons out, what's a demon, where do the demons go, how do they go in pigs, why do they drown? All of that sounds really odd to us, and I get it, and I don't want to get bogged down in the details on that. I will say, because that sounds so foreign and so far away from us and so weird, I will say I have heard of similar things happening in Haiti today. Like modern day, I've heard some stories of some pretty wild stuff. So it's not all just way back then, right? There's there's stuff going on that we can't explain. And so Jesus does this. 
And you would think when a guy's demon-possessed and he's healed of that and he no longer is being tortured by this demon, you would think the crowd would be like, this is awesome. Can you come cast out de- this demon? What else can you do, Jesus? You would think that would be the response. And yet, Matthew chapter 8, verse 34, and behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. What for? To thank him? To be like, that was really great. No. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. This is rejection again. Hey, that was, you cast out the demons and into the pigs. Yeah, would you just leave? Would you just get out of here? Because this is kind, you're kind of freaking us out a little bit. This is, this is his experience when he, when he, uh, when, when, when he, he heals people, people and casts out demons. Now, this wasn't just Jesus who experienced rejection. This goes on throughout his ministry. His followers experienced it as well. The, the gospel writer Luke records in the book of Acts, which is a, a history book about the early church, he records that some of Jesus' closest followers, guys named Peter and John, were preaching and teaching in Jerusalem, and it, was, uh, it became unpopular. They're talking about Jesus, they're talking about this guy, you know, and they're saying he came back from the dead, all this stuff. And, and they get arrested and sort of dragged before the leaders of the, the religious leaders of, of the, the council there in Jerusalem, and they don't like what Peter and John are saying, and they challenge them. And so you have this... This, uh, this, this interchange here that goes on, this discussion that happens between the religious leaders and Peter and John, and, and it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 4. I want to read this. It's, there's a little, little piece here, a little long, but I, I, I want to read it um, and so you, you can see it. Uh, Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 7. Uh, hello. Come on, Acts 4. Uh... And then they all stick together. It's the wrong time to have dry hands. Okay, here we go. All right. Um, and when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected, rejected, there's that rejection, rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." So they, they stand up and speak to, to leaders. They're speaking to people who have power over them. They're speaking to people who could have them thrown in jail or beaten or whatever. And so there's a lot of bad outcomes that can come out of this. And yet, listen how pointed they are. They're like, hey, this guy was healed. We are speaking in the name of Jesus. The very Jesus that you crucified here in Jerusalem just a few weeks ago, you might remember when it happened, you guys were in, made this happen. That's how bold they are. Talk about speaking truth to power. That's what Peter and John are doing. And are they scared? I mean, wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be a little bit like, I don't know how this is going to work out. It's got that bad combination. It's like it's a hard conversation they're having with an uncertain outcome. All right, so what do they say? Verse, verse 13. Uh, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Man, I could talk all day about just that verse. That's incredible. Let's keep going. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that... 
for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Here's what they recognized about Peter and John. These guys spoke up in spite of a situation where they should be very afraid. They should have given into their fear and just shut their mouths. And instead, they speak up and they go, man, these guys got some guts. And they're unschooled, ordinary, educated. These are uneducated. These are just regular, regular people speaking up. And it's profound. And, and, and they try to cancel them on the spot. They're like, okay, you guys, that's cool and all. We can't deny that there's a miracle that happened here. I'm just going to need you guys to shut up and not say another word about this. And you just keep this to yourselves and stop. Um, we cease and desist all speaking on this topic. And, and, and Peter's like, nah, fam. Listen to what he says. Verse 19. Um, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. They were scared, sure. Of course they were. Um, Bad things could happen to them. But they stood up and they spoke in, in spite of the possibility of being canceled and rejected. Now, these guys get jail time. You'll see that in the book of Acts. Um, eventually, they're killed. Uh, Peter is uh, hung upside down on a cross in, in Rome in the mid-60s AD. Um, and so they, they, they definitely had reason to be afraid for their lives and, and all of that, and yet they spoke boldly. Um, hey, just one note for tech people. My monitor's gone up here, so if someone wants to I don't know, plug a different thing in or something that would be cool. Otherwise, it's going to get weird here in a second for me. Um, let me. Let me point out a couple things. Number one, um, it says this. Uh, number one, I want you to hear this. And this is how we handle this kind of fear of rejection. Number one, we need to know that rejection can be a good thing. We have a sense that all rejection is a bad thing, um, but it isn't. There are times when we get rejected um, and it actually worked out to be the best thing for us. Um, we need to recognize that when we are rejected for taking a stand, especially when we stand for Jesus and we stand up for our faith and we stand up for what is morally right and true and good and that God has taught us, um, we might get rejected for Understand that we're not alone. Jesus was rejected multiple times. His followers have been rejected over and over throughout history. The rejection doesn't necessarily mean you're wrong. Actually, rejection could be an indication that you are in the right. That's one important thing to remember. Um, And the second thing to remember is that uh, there are things that are worth getting rejected from. Um, There are situations we find ourselves in that if you get rejected, that is actually a good thing. Think back to the lunchroom in the cafeteria in high school. Um, I, that, if that's triggering for you, I, I like it. There's a lot of social dynamics at play in the lunchroom, and I'd like to say the whole world has gotten better after you graduate high school, but sometimes I'm not sure. I think all of us are still kind of living in the lunchroom of high school. Um, but what if you wanted to sit at the table with the mean girls, and you're not allowed to sit at the table with the mean girls because you wore pink on the wrong day? Like, 
Isn't that worth, like that's a, that is a form of rejection, but like some things you're better off having gotten rejected from, right? And I bet if you think through your own life, you can think through some situations where you wanted something, you got rejected from it or for it, um, and that actually worked out to be a good thing for you. Uh, it can be, not all rejection is, is a bad thing. Um, sometimes there's a crowd you don't want to be a part of. There's actually a, a great quote uh, from Marcus Aurelius. Uh, I want to put it up on the screen if my monitor will work. Or uh, There it is. The object of life is not to be on the side of the majority, but to escape finding oneself in the ranks of the insane. Um, I, I disagree with him that that is the object of life, but I don't disagree that we definitely want to not necessarily be in the majority on things. You, you want to make sure you don't find yourself in the ranks of the insane because all of culture can move in the direction of the insane, and we need to think about that. So, so number one, know that rejection can be a good thing. The second thing to notice here is we can rejoice in rejection because it can produce something good in us. There's something productive that can actually happen in us when we are rejected. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, listen to what he says. Let me read it to you. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, you read that, you hear that, and you go, that's nice. Paul says we've been justified by faith and we, we have access to God. We have peace with God through Jesus. Like we have hope. Like all of those sound like really nice words and we can sort of nod and give thumbs up and go like that's a nice pretty verse of the Bible, right? Listen to what he says the very next verse. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's not all the good and fluffy and flowery and pretty nice things about being a follower of Christ. It is the suffering that we endure that will produce something in us. It's not all of God's blessings that produces all the great stuff. It, sometimes it is the hardships Going through that um, can, can change us. It can build, Paul says, character, which will drive us to hope. Um, why, so why, why should we be afraid when we're facing rejection? The hardship of the rejection will build character. The obstacles that are in your way are the things that will make you stronger. The challenge of the situation is what will make you dig your roots deeper in, into God. The worst thing we could experience in life is not necessarily a whole bunch of struggle, it's probably a life without struggle at all because we will never form character. We will ne never find out what we're made of. We'll never dig our roots deep if we, have no, if we have no struggle. In our struggle is when we will actually reach for God. Christianity, uh, Judaism, they, they, af they affirm these things and you see this in the history. You see this in the history of the scriptures. You, what you will see is when times are good, people turn their backs on God. And when times are bad, people cry out to God. So it is the hardship that drives us into the arms of God. And that's a, that's a good thing. So if you take a stand for something and you get canceled or rejected um, because you stood for Christ, because you stood for your faith, um, congratulations. That's, that's awesome because um, you just got a little stronger and you learned some things and maybe it drove you a little closer to God who identifies with us in our suffering. 
So number two, we can rejoice in rejection because it produces something good in us. And number three is this, there are good things on the other side of the rejection. This is very hard to remember in the moment when we're feeling rejection, but there are actually some really good things that we can find on the other side. Um, and, and there's good to be had. The, the, there, are, there are brighter, brighter days. Um, some of you know this. Um, 2016 through 2019 was uh, a hard season for our church. And for me personally, it was the hardest professional season of my life, and that also sort of bled over to, like, a personal life, just um, existence and, 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 and some struggle. Uh, it was really difficult. I'm not going to go into all the details of that. Some of, some of you know, and I'm, I, I have coffee with people and talk through things if, if they want to know. Um, but but that, that season was very difficult, and I watched... Um, a lot of people get frustrated and walk away. People that were friends, uh, people I had known for a long time. Uh, and uh, there was a constant string of loss there for a couple of years. It was very, very hard. Um, and it felt like rejection. It felt like, um, I'm, I don't like, not just this idea or this belief, or it's like, I, it's like, I don't like you and I'm out. Uh, and it was it was very hard, and I went to counseling and 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 have worked through a lot of that. But that was from about 2016 uh, through 2019, and then we had about a six month reprieve of like, okay. And then COVID started, and and that became like the rest of the world this massive shift in like rethink the way you do everything, um, which I I actually get energized by that kind of challenge, but. For, it was very difficult. Well, I, um, I met with a group of pastors uh, about three weeks ago and uh, so from around the Mid-Atlantic. And there was a lot of guys that I talked to that were really struggling. Um, and uh, they were struggling because um, through COVID, and I don't just mean COVID itself, but all of the things that were swirling around culturally um, over the last two years, uh, there was a, a lot of those pastors saw a lot of their people from their church walk away and, they, and a lot of relationships that have been around for a long time splinter. Um, and a lot of these guys were feeling it and it was very heavy and I could feel it in the room. Um, and then they asked me and, I, and I, they're like, well, how's COVID been for you? And I'm like, I mean, it's, it's been, that season's been hard for us too, all of it. Um, but I also feel like uh, that season was better than the one I had just gone through before that in 2016 and 2019. So it's weird the perspective you get on the other side of something where you go like, man, this, this season was tough, but the one before it was, was actually, uh, for me, it, it, was, it was worse. Um, and I think the reason, as I've had a, some time to process, I think there's a couple things. The reason that I have some different perspective on the, on the time now is, number one, um, I have seen the goodness of God in this church and in the people that I know here. Um, I've seen lives still continue to change, and I've seen people grow, and I have seen some great things here. And I have had to be reminded that God has got me, and he's got this church, and it does not all rely on me doing everything perfectly. Because if it does, we're in a lot of trouble here, guys. I just... <laughs> um, so I, I have some perspective that through, through the tunnel of chaos, you come out on the other side, and God has 
still has um, a hold of me and this church. Uh, and second thing I think I've learned and that's been helpful is that I have a team here in the church that loves each other and that makes it a lot easier when you face rejection. The staff and elders here have been fantastic over the last couple of years, navigating through a lot of uncertainty. Um, and I can tell you, knowing the staff well, knowing their spouses, knowing the elders well, their spouses, knowing all those people, um, I can tell you it's a whole bunch of imperfect people. Uh, we're all flawed. We all have our stuff. Um, but they love each other, and they love this church. They love the Lord. And um, in a world of uncertainty and chaos, having a group of people you work with who love each other and love what we're doing, man, that ain't nothing. That is a big deal. And and I'm 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 proud to be part of of what we're doing here. And so I I have learned that the goodness of God shows up during times of rejection and that having people around you helps you walk through the rejection so much better and that there's good things that can be had on the other side. So if I could sum up this entire series on fear, um, what I want to just tell you is, well, just, you know, are you afraid? Okay, stop it. (laughs) Just stop being like that. Um, But I get it, right? Like, that's not realistic. Um, But I read something the other day. Do you know how many times the Bible commands us to not be afraid? Because every time an angel shows up, it's like, do not be afraid. And like, just throughout the Bible, 365 times the Bible says, don't be afraid. Do you find that number to be a little bit curious? I do. I wonder what connection I could make with the number 365. Um, 365 times we need to be told to not be afraid. Maybe because every single day we feel like being afraid or there's some new thing that comes up that's going to scare us. There's always somebody with an army or a knife or a, a, a virus or a thing, right? There's always something that's out there to make us afraid. And over and over the scripture reminds us, nope, it's okay to be scared. Don't be afraid. Don't give in to this. Be courageous. Um, don't let the fear paralyze you. And I get it. I've talked to people who have lost jobs. I talk to people who are on the fringe of that. I, and, and, and I understand our fear. But, but I want to point you to Jesus who has experienced rejection. Hebrews chapter 4 says it this way. talks about Jesus. says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sins. One of the things I love about Christianity is it's not some far off, aloof, distant God who doesn't understand our lives. It is, no, Jesus has been in it. He walked in this mess. He was rejected also, all the way to the cross. He, he was murdered at the hands. That's cancel culture in the largest way. He was murdered at the hands of the mob. And so he understands rejection. So I want us to remember in, this, in all of this that, that our God is near, especially when we're afraid. I went for a, a hike two weeks ago. I actually did the same hike yesterday. I was with friends. But two weeks ago, I went by myself through the Blue Ridge Tunnel. And the Blue Ridge Tunnel's out there at Afton. And if you haven't done it, it's a pretty fun hike because um, it's very simple and, and all. But you go through this tunnel that's about a mile long. And um, there's no lights on in there, and they tell you that before you go in. So it's like, hey, bring a flashlight or whatever. So I go into this tunnel, and it's like on a Tuesday, and there's not a lot of people in there. So it's pretty lonely, quiet. Um, And you walk in the tunnel, and because it's so long and there's, like, dripping water, it sounds like a horror movie. There's, like, this 
kind of thing going on, you know, and you're like, whoa, this is kind of weird, you know, and you're walking, and, and I'm going, and I, and I brought my phone, because it has a light on it, right, but like my battery is getting low, and I'm like, oh man, I'm going to be stuck in the middle of this long tunnel, and there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but it's way down there, and at some point, you're, it feels like you're basically in pitch black, so I'm going along with my phone, and, um, and, and walk through this tunnel, and it's, it's, it's not the creepiest thing I've ever done, but it's, it's, a little bit creepy. Uh, if I'd done it at night, it probably would have been worse, but it was dark in there, right? And um, I noticed on the wall that someone had written something on the wall in like spray paint or whatever, and, and I shone my light on it, and I took a picture of it. I want to show you the picture. <laughs> it says, leave. So I did. <laughs> this did not make me feel better. I was, it was not like, oh, that's, that's warm and welcoming. It was just like, leave. What's funny that I didn't show you is that right next to it, uh, there were similar sized letters, and it said L-A, and then it stopped, and then it says leave. I was like, someone tried to write leave and misspelled it. <laughs> so it actually says, like, la leave, which is French, but there was something, but not better. So anyway, um, so it said leave, and, you know, so then I kind of, I'm like, oh, hey, how about that? Snap picture of that. And then I just kept walking. And I started thinking of, with this light in front of me, because you can't see the whole way down, but you can see in front of me. And I started thinking about some Psalms, the scripture, um, where it talks about God's word being a light into our feet and a lamp into our path. And unless you're in darkness, that doesn't make a lot of sense to you. And the idea that God's word, his teachings, would, be, would give me enough to see what's right in front of me so that I can step without falling and will show me the path not show me the end, not show me every single turn or whatever, but just show me the path. That was useful to me. I was like, that's good to, to, to think about. And then I thought about Psalm 27, 1. Let me put it up on the screen. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And I thought about that. And, and yeah, it's a silly thing. I'm, I'm in, a, in a tunnel but that's a real verse for us in our lives. Um, when the virus threatens, um, we have to be able to say, the Lord is my stronghold, of whom shall I be afraid? When the relationship you are in ends, we say, the Lord is my stronghold, of whom shall I be afraid? When the job is done and they tell you to pack up your desk, you say, the Lord is my stronghold, of whom shall I be afraid? When your child is making some very bad choices, you say, the Lord is my stronghold, of whom shall I be afraid? When the custody agreement does not work out the way that you wanted it to, you say, the Lord is my stronghold, of whom shall I be afraid? When it looks bad and it's hard to imagine it ever getting better, you say, the Lord is my stronghold, of whom shall I be afraid? I, I think we need to just have that memorized. I, th I think we just need to have it so close to our head and our heart that we're, we're ready in any moment that pops up, because the moments will pop up um, 365 times. Go ahead and be afraid on, on leap year when you get that one extra day. There's no <laughs> command for that. But for the rest of the year, this is we, we can be afraid, uh, and, and we don't want to be. And so th that verse um, is, is there for us to, to, re to remember. Uh, my hope and prayer is that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you will internalize that scripture. You will live it, learn it, own it, make it a part of your being, so that when things come, you're ready to not be afraid. 
Um, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, my prayer today is that you give your life to him, that you, that you get on board with him. You join us in the tribe of the people who have been rejected and who will probably continue to do so. Um, but I, I, I know you have doubts. I know you have questions. But give your life to God. Get baptized into him. You can check on your Try 5 card that you want to get baptized. We'll reach out to you. Um, and, and ask God to forgive you and ask God to lead you into the future. Um, I, I truly believe that following God is, is and fearing, fearing the Lord is better than fearing everything else. I believe that because God has given you an abundant life, you don't have to be afraid and of scarcity. Um, I believe that because God has conquered death, you don't have to be afraid to die. I believe that God has given you purpose, so you don't have to be afraid of having a meaningless, purposeless life. Um, and I believe that be- because Jesus has experienced rejection and, and walked through it, you don't have to be afraid of being rejected either, and that God can make you whole again on the other side of that. Let's pray. God, these words, this series has been um, just an attempt to help uh, anxious people feel less anxious. And it it creeps up on all of us, those of us who are highly emotional aware, aware, probably have experienced more of it um, over the last year or two. And so God, help us to notice when it's creeping up on us and help us to speak your truth to our fear and our anxiety. God, you are our stronghold. Um, of, of whom shall we be afraid? Help us to not just say that's pretty words, but to internalize it and remember it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.